You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. I wonder if um, some of you people kind of have a playlist that you use when you're traveling somewhere, when you're driving in the car, so a list of songs that you like to play and sing along with. Anyone do that? Yeah, quite yeah, a lot of us. One of my favorite songs is, uh, don't, do you know the Proclaimers song? I'm on the way. I'm on my way from misery to happiness today. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know that one? Okay, let's have some of your suggestions. Waymaker. Wow, very good. Yeah. Anybody else? <laughs> right. The old rugged cross. <laughs> Great. Okay. Wide selection of songs then. So the 15 songs that we know as the Psalms of Ascents are a kind of playlist that the Old Testament people of God sang when they traveled, not by car, but on foot up to Jerusalem to take part in the great annual festivals. And for this reason, they are sometimes known as the pilgrim psalms. And nowadays, it strikes me that people tend to think of pilgrimage as something they do that's kind of outside of their normal life. They take time out of their normal life in order to go on some journey. Maybe they walk there. What's that big walk in northern Spain, the Camino de... That's the one. You've done that. Yeah? <laughs> or, you know, that... Or maybe they, they go on, the, on a kind of annual pilgrimage to the Elvis Festival in Graceland or whatever the case may be. I'm not knocking that, but as Christians... Pilgrimage isn't something that we take time out from normal life to do. It is our normal life. It's a way of describing what our life is like. Psalm 84 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose strength is in God, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. In other words, we're not just wandering aimlessly through life. We've set our hearts on something. We're, we're not just reacting to circumstances or trying to control circumstances in order to maximize the pleasure that we derive from life and minimize the pain that we experience. We are, we're going somewhere where there's an end in view. There's a, an inner compass that keeps us moving in a Godward direction, a kind of homing instinct that keeps drawing us back onto that road even when we've taking some detour or diversion on the way. So this Psalm 84 goes on to say that these pilgrims go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Zion ultimately being the heavenly city, the place where God dwells with his people. In other words, we are all heading home. We don't leave home in order to become pilgrims. We become pilgrims by setting out for home. That's where we're heading. So wherever you are on that journey, even if you haven't started, haven't, you haven't set out yet, then I really think the Psalms of a sense have something good 
to say to us. And this morning I'd like to look at, we're going to be looking together at Psalm 126. We've already read it from the Message uh, Bible this, this morning. The late Tim Keller described this song as the perfect emotional map for a person who believes in God, for a pilgrim. There is laughter and tears, there's joy, and there is sorrow. It's the, the story of a group of people remembering a time when God moved in a remarkable and wonderful way, but meantime, right now, life isn't as great as it once was. And they're looking to God to do something that only He can do. They're holding on to a, a hope that they can't let go of while they are living with a reality that they can't wait to get out of. Maybe this morning you know what that feels like. If you don't, give it time. So let's jump in and read Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes. So it's a sudden change in, right? change in vibe. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. So the most obvious feature, I think, of this psalm is this word, joy. I think, you know, this is kind of relevant at the present time, isn't it? I mean, we've been through a pretty tough, the last few years have been pretty hard. There's been a pandemic, a war in Ukraine, big increase in the cost of living. There's everything that's going on with the NHS, people are, the economy, people are, more and more people seem to be struggling with their mental health, especially young people. It's not a happy time in this country right now, is it? I, you know, could we, could we do with a bit more joy, do you think? Put up your hand if you think we could do with a bit more joy. Good. Usually there is a distinction made between happiness and joy. Being happy or unhappy is kind of like an emotional response to what's going on in our lives at any given point in time. Joy, on the other hand, doesn't depend on our circumstances because it has its source in God rather than in our emotions. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. It's a result of the Spirit's work in us, making it more like Jesus. And although Jesus is described as a man of sorrows, he is also a man of joy, an incredibly joyful man. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So the good news this morning is that Jesus wants us to experience his joy. But here's the thing. We can't just switch it on. We can't just, we can't manufacture it. We can't kind of work it up in ourselves. However, 
There are things, I believe, that we can do that will help to cultivate joy in our lives. And this psalm, I believe, shows us two important ways that we can cultivate joy. Firstly, we cultivate joy by celebrating what God has done, has done for us. Secondly, we cultivate joy by anticipating what God will yet do for us. Okay? That's it, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I've got another 20 minutes to go, so I'll, (laughs) I'll fill that out a bit. So, the first three verses that we look at, God is, God is looking at, not God, sorry, the people there, the psalmist, they're looking back. He said, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like men who dreamed. What, what had God done for them that was so wonderful, that was so amazing that it caused them to laugh and sing for joy? Well, this is commonly held to refer to the return of the exiles from captivity in Babylon, which we can read about in the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Though some would dispute that, some relate it to the events that are described in the Exodus when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. Now, I'll be honest, I am no Hebrew expert, but as I understand it, the language here of verse 1 could potentially refer to any experience of being restored by God. It's like the point is that God acted decisively to get these people out of a hole that they could never have got themselves out of, however hard they tried. And they experienced God's favor and blessing in a remarkable way. It was like a dream come true. Question, has God ever got you out of a hole? that you could never have got yourself out of. Yeah? Well, how about, how about the hole Paul describes in Ephesians 1? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You weren't just poorly. You didn't just need a bit of a lift. You were dead. That's a bit of a hole to get out of, isn't it? He goes on, you were without hope and without God in the world. Without hope. As Fraser used to say, we're doomed. We're all doomed. We were. We were without God, without hope in this world. What What a desperate situation we were in. Listen, this side of the cross, how much more can we say The Lord has done great things for us. In Christ, we who were dead have been made alive. We who were far from God have been brought near and reconciled to Him. Our sins are forgiven. Our future is secure. We are filled with God's Spirit. We are adopted into God's family. Our enemy has been defeated. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We should be pinching ourselves. Honestly, we should be pinching ourselves. Can this really be true? Can, can this, because like a dream, isn't it? We, we have a life and a love and a hope 
and a freedom that no virus can touch, no government can take away, and even death cannot bring to an end. The worst thing that can happen is the best thing that can happen. In remembering that, in being thankful for that, in celebrating the great things, the amazing things that the Lord has done for us, we cultivate joy. Yeah? I'm not saying that that means we should go around every day with a silly grin on our faces, though if you can, nothing wrong with that. There will be, there will be days, there will be weeks, there will be seasons of weariness, of discouragement, of loss, of sadness. It's all part of life, isn't it? Jesus said, in this life, you will have what? Trouble. That's the only thing he promised we would have. No, it's not. But he did say, in this life, you will have trouble. We understand that. We're living in a time of like the intersection between the ages. This present age is passing away. The coming age is, has already begun with the resurrection of Jesus. But right now we are living between the ages. Already the kingdom is breaking in. It is here now, but not yet in its fullness. So in this world, there is still going to be suffering and heartache and pain and disappointment. But here's the thing, because joy is not dependent on our circumstances, because joy has its source in God, we can know joy even in the midst of sorrow. And I've known people testify to that. Even through the hard times, people will say, you know what? Uh, yeah, it's tough, but there's a, there's a joy. There's a joy in the Lord that, that I'm just, yeah, I'm finding that. God is so good. God is with me even in this hard time. So we can acknowledge our sorrow. We can weep in our sorrow, and yet we can still know the joy of the Lord. And only in Christ is it possible. Only in Christ can that happen. So we cultivate joy by celebrating what God has done for us. And this, of course, is, is what we do every time we do what we did this morning when we share together in communion and the bread and the wine, you know. I didn't grow up, grow up in a Christian family. I didn't go to church as part of my family. However, I was in the Scouts, and um, ours, there's a great scout troop ours. We had, do you know in the scouts, they divide everybody up into patrols. And in, in our scout troop, we had, uh, I, I made it in the scouts to patrol leader. Uh, that, was, that was really something then. And in our scout troop, we had, the patrols were all named after birds. We had the, the hawks, we had the kestrels, we had the eagles. I was patrol leader of the, the peewits, the peewits. <laughs> so I think even then, at that tender age, God was preparing me for what they had. <laughs> and anyway, in the scouts, every couple of months, we would go along to the, to the service in the local parish church, and I just couldn't believe how miserable everybody was particularly in communion. It was like 
I thought, you know, there must be a prize every week for whoever appears to be the most miserable in this place. When we, we are, it's a celebration. We are celebrating what God has done for us. Now, as Mark said, we also need to be serious. It's not a thing to be taken lightly. But, you know, C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. So we want to be seriously joyful people, right? I want to be a seriously joyful person. Verse 2 goes on to say, It was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Hey, even their neighbors notice what God has done. Notice they didn't say, you know what, they're very nice people, these Jews. Let's hang out with them a bit more than we're doing. They seem really nice. They seem normal. People like us. What makes people take notice is when they see God at work in unmistakable ways. Some Christians seem to think that if we can just come across as nice, normal people, reasonable people, then folks will come to church. Seriously? The truth is, folks, and I hate to break this to you, we are not normal people. No, we are, we are a peculiar people. That's what 1 Peter 2.9 says. We are a peculiar people. Just take a look around you this morning. We are not normal. We are marching to a different drum. We are strangers and aliens in the world. God wants us to be salt and light. He doesn't need us to be his PR team. We are more effective, I believe. We're more likely to be effective as salt and light when we are filled with joy, in my opinion. As we nurture joy by celebrating what God has done for us in Christ. So let's move on now to the the second part of this psalm, verses 4 to 6. As a sudden change in tone, this is more like a lament than anything. You know, most of the psalms, I think two-thirds of them, or take the form of a, a lament. It's a legitimate way to express ourselves to God. It's not just grumbling, it's not just complaining, but it's bringing our sorrows and the reality of our lives to God with faith and with hope. So the psalmist is no longer looking back, but now he's looking forward. And, and things at this point aren't so great. Now, if this psalm is about the experience of the the captives returning from exile in Babylon, then when you read the story, it's like the initial exuberance that they had soon runs out. They run out of steam. You know, they run into, the life is hard. Can you imagine going back into that situation for, for, for what, 70 years or for decades? The land hasn't been cared for. Things were in a pretty devastated state. They go back into this. It must have been a really tough situation for them to go back into. There's opposition, you know, they, they run into all kinds of difficulties. And for a time, the rebuilding work comes to a halt. It just kind of grinds to a halt. Uh, same with the Exodus story. If you look at that, one day they're kind of dancing and singing on the shores of the Red Sea. A few days later, they're moaning and groaning about what they're going to drink and eat. You know, I, th- I think we were a bit like that, don't you? We experience some amazing time of blessing, of, of favor from God, maybe 
dramatic healings or the rediscovery of some wonderful truth that we lost sight of. We, uh, some, some incredible provision from God and we just think, wow, we're on a roll here. This is it. God has restored our fortunes from now on. It's kind of upward and onward. And for a while, things might go really well, but sooner or later, the history of the church shows that we need God to do it again. We stand in continual need of being refreshed, renewed, revived. We need God to do what only he can do. And so the psalmist cries out to God, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. The Negev, I'm sure many of you will know, is, that, is the, the desert area in the south of Israel, south of Jerusalem. Most of the time, it is arid and dry and lifeless, and the water courses are bone dry. There's not a drop of water in them. But, but each year, when the rainy season comes, for a short time, the streams surge with water, and it's almost like overnight, the desert blossoms. It turns green, it turns verdant, everything begins, there's life, and it grows. And the psalmist feels parched and dry, and, and joy seems to have fled a million miles away. And he's doing exactly what we can do when we feel the same way. Have you ever felt like that? Parched and dry. And you wonder, where, where has my joy gone? Well, we can do what the psalmist does. We can cry out to God for rain, to come, to refresh us, renew us. When your soul is heavy, when joy is absent, honestly, don't, don't turn to social media. Don't don't look for some kind of distraction. Don't turn to some substance or to alcohol. Don't even turn to a friend for your first thing. First thing, the people of God cry out, God, send the rain. Send the rain. Turn to the Lord. When we come on then to verses five to six, we find that he, he moves from prayer to do something else that we need to do. He talks to himself. He's not praying here. He's talking to himself. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He's declaring to himself the truth of God and how God deals with us. And we do that all the time, don't we? We talk to ourselves, hopefully not out loud, <laughs> although sometimes that can, there's a place for that too. But all the time there's this inner dialogue going on. In our, isn't there? Or is it just me? <laughs> you know, we're talking to ourselves all the time we're doing that. We need to make sure that what we're talking to ourselves about is actually the truth of God and not the lies of the enemy. So he is declaring to himself here the truth of God. And you see what he's doing? He's leading his heart. He's leading his heart. You know, I don't know about you, but I've found the most difficult person to lead is me. You know, I've given myself far more trouble than any other member of my church over the years. It is much more difficult to lead yourself. And he is leading himself. He's leading his heart. He's reminding his heart 
of what is true, even though in that moment his heart is not experiencing that truth. That doesn't make it any less true. And this is, this is dramatic imagery that we're seeing in this psalm. Picture this farmer in the Negev. The ground is hard, the air is hot, the air is dry, the dust is blowing in this guy's face. The sun is beating down on him. This is tough. This is arduous. But worse than that, it appears to be totally pointless. It appears to be totally unproductive, and you can kind of picture him weeping as he wrestles with this question, why am I doing this? What is the point in carrying on? But this farmer then fights that question with the truth, and he anticipates that whatever it looks like right now, the rain is going to come. God is going to send the rain, and the seeds that he is sowing will yield a harvest. Here's the thing. Only God can send the rain, but only we can sow the seeds so that they're there when the rain comes. And we sow in anticipation of the harvest that will come. That's that's the whole point of sowing seeds, is because you're hoping, you're anticipating that there's going to be a harvest. Paul says, be joyful in hope. Where there's no hope, where there's no expectation, there's never going to be any joy. But hope isn't just wishful thinking, it is a confident expectation towards God. Right? It's not, we can't see it, because it wouldn't be, right? It wouldn't be hope if we could see it. Hope means we can't see it yet, but we have a confident expectation that God is going to bring it to pass. And that expectation leads us to sow seed, even when others might think there is no point in doing it. So those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Now, what might it look? What might it look like for you to sow in tears? I don't know. Psalm 16 verse 5 says this, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. It seems to me that Jesus assigns to each one of us like a sphere of service where grace has given us to serve him and to serve others in his name. Right? That's your portion. That's your portion. But there's a cost involved in doing that, isn't there? That's the cup. That's your cup. Now on the cross, Jesus drank a cup that we will, praise God, never have to drink. He paid the price of our sins and, and, and he, he gave his life and fell into the ground like that seed that would give rise to a great harvest. He went through that dreadful ordeal anticipating the joy that would come. He did it for the joy that was set before him. Now in a much 
much, 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 much lesser way. It seems to me that each of us is called to do likewise. You know, praise God, we don't have to pay for our sins because we never could. That's a debt that none of us could ever repay. But Jesus paid it all. The debt is cleared. But still in all, there is a cut. There's a cost. And for each person, that's going to look different. I don't know what it's going to cost you to continue to walk in faith and obedience with Jesus. But I would be very surprised if it doesn't involve shedding a few tears along the way. Has that been your experience so far? Yeah? Some of you have been sowing seed maybe for a long time, and you feel weary. You wonder if there is any point. Maybe, maybe you want to give up. This morning, maybe you feel, you know what, I just... I've had enough. But God says, if this is you, he says, no, hang in there. Hang in there. He says, don't become weary in doing good because at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Now, here's the thing. We don't know when that proper time is. I'd like it to be now, tomorrow. But the the harvest will come because Psalm 126 says that those who sow in tears will reap, will reap with songs of joy. Listen, that harvest may come in this lifetime. We've seen wonderful answers to prayer, haven't we? You know, we've seen God save people. We've seen him heal people. We've seen him transform relationships. Many of the seeds that you guys have sown in prayer, in shepherding, in, in, in sharing the gospel, in serving others, have yielded a harvest. And it's great. There's joy when that harvest comes, when we see what God is doing. But we know, don't we, that that is not the only story that we experience. Sometimes there are prayers that we've prayed for years. It's prayers I've been praying for years that I've yet to see answered. There are seeds that we sow that that just never seem to sprout, never seem to show any sign of springing up. And and you, listen, we all ask, well, where, where is this promised harvest? Where is this reaping with songs of joy? Well, listen again, on this side of the cross, we know there's a fuller story, don't we? We know that there is a fuller story and that there is a a final harvest that is yet to come. Uh, And so maybe today you will find yourself weeping. And listen, don't be ashamed of your tears. God collects your tears in a bottle. That's what it says in the Psalms. Don't be ashamed of them. Sow your tears into the promises of God. One day you will reap with songs of joy. Maybe not today, maybe not even tomorrow, but certainly in the age to come. 1 Corinthians 15, that wonderful passage, Paul says that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, I don't know how long that is, but it doesn't sound very long, does it? In the twinkling 
of an eye. There's going to be a moment that's going to seem like it's just it's come out of nowhere. Like suddenly, woof, there it is. Jesus is here on this earth. And in an instant, everything changes. We'll be made like him, perishable to imperishable, mortal to immortal, and all creation will be renewed with us. Then the Lord will restore the fortunes of Zion in a way that we cannot even begin to imagine. We will be with him, but without the sin that has ruined us. Imagine being able to look upon God with unsinning eye, to know even as we are known. This present earth is going to pass away, and the holy city, the new Jerusalem, will come down from heaven. This is what it says, Revelation 21, prepared as a bride dressed for her husband. Wow. We will receive glorified bodies. I tell you what, the older I get, the more attractive that sounds. We will receive glorified bodies, and God will say, now the dwelling of God is with his people, and he will live with them. He will live with them. He will wipe away every tear, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then we will know unending joy. What we can only know in part in this life, then we will know fullness of joy, unending joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Our pilgrimage has ended. We will finally have arrived home. Isn't that wonderful? Anticipating that glorious future while we celebrate the amazing things that God has already done for us, I believe will strengthen us to stay on that journey. Don't give up. Amen? Thank you for listening this morning.